Welcome back to Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State podcast. It is Super Bowl week. It is almost signing day week. And Audrey Snyder, it is almost uh, XFL time as well with some Penn Staters in the mix. Uh, I am Matt Brown, a college football editor for The Athletic, joined by Audrey Snyder, our Penn State writer. Audrey, it is kind of a sleepy signing day time around here. So we're not going to have much, I feel like, to preview in terms of recruiting. Yeah, it's, it's a different, I mean, and this has kind of been the whole really the whole model, the whole kind of rhythm of it since they added the early signing period for college football in December. I mean, I do not anticipate anything happening uh, on that front, at least in terms of recruiting with Penn State uh, within the next week. So that's kind of good for us, Matt, because we can look back a little bit. We can look ahead. Uh, We're still waiting on the terms of James Franklin's contract, (laughs) which honestly, I feel like I've pretty much forgotten about that since it happened in December. But you just reminded me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the contract terms, uh, they still have three new coaches to introduce at some point here soon. But as we can tell via the social media trail, uh, Penn State has been out, saw a lot of uh, home visits taking place this week. A lot of uh, always fun and kind of some funny photos out there that you've seen from the recruiting trail. Uh, We did see one last week. The new receivers coach accidentally was sporting a University of Miami belt buckle. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I, I, honestly, Matt, I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. You know, Taylor Stubblefield's like, been a lot of places. I wouldn't be surprised if he was wearing like a belt buckle from like 12 different schools that he's worked at at this point. Yeah, it's like you know, you always, I always laugh because whenever I talk to a recruit, uh, this is not scientific at all, of course, but oftentimes they wear like you know the the rubber bracelets, and it's kind of like you'll see them try to put a hand over their bracelet to like not show you know like who they're favoring, and I'm like, it's I mean, it's a bracelet, I don't care. But I feel like that might be the same kind of thing with uh, some of these coaches you know they get up get dressed in the morning and now we had to go out and buy new belts because of all this but that's uh that's what happens matt in late january early february and so i'm looking forward to uh digging into some recruiting stories that are more kind of trends trend specific or bigger picture here in the next week so i'll have those up at the athletic uh we had all of our depth charts up last week we did a deep dive on the offense last week on the podcast So, of course, this week, Matt, it's only natural that we'll talk about the defense. And also, toward the end of the show, uh, if you make it that far on Dear Old State, we hope you stay with us to the end, because I will share some excerpts from my interview with John Urschel last week. So a little little bit of news there, too, last week. Yeah, John Urschel, the former Penn State lineman, has been selected to join the College Football Playoff Selection Committee for the next three years. Kind of a curveball from the College Football Playoff in terms of uh, a... Recent former player who's not an AD, not a coach, just kind of a different type of voice in the room, which is a very good thing. And obviously a, a math expert, which can't help or can't hurt, excuse me, for, for the selection committee. So we'll get to that at the end of the show. There's also some other Penn State kind of adjacent news this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Shorter, who his camp has been pretty quiet, I feel like, over the whole process yeah. of the transfer. But, uh, the, you know, the one hint that he visited Florida in December and now it's pretty much official. He has at least committed to Florida. Five-star transfer receiver will go to the Gators. Um, I guess we shouldn't be surprised because that's basically the one school that was hinted at early in the process. Yeah, pretty much the only school that was kind of, I mean, I know people threw out Rutgers, but I feel like that's the same thing as, you know, Penn State fans throwing out a Penn State alumnus for any coaching opening. You know, I think that like some of these things people just gravitate toward um, I mean, Rutgers made absolutely no sense other than the fact that he was from New Jersey. So it really wasn't ever a legitimate thing. Um, but yeah, I think you look at Florida, you look at the need that they have. Um, now I'm curious, Matt, because is he going to try to pursue any sort of waiver, right? I mean, otherwise Justin's going to have to sit out a year. And actually, I think the other interesting part here, and I've been talking with our Florida writer, Will Salmon, about it, and Will has a great story up uh, this week on The Athletic about Justin Shorter and his fit at Florida. But you kind of look at this, and what I was, was saying to Will and my thought process was, you know, if he couldn't consistently get on the field here, is the path going to be any easier or any more clear at Florida? And now you're looking at, okay, you know, are you sitting well, he out get on here. the field? It's can he, he get could, a target? <laughs> right. And he could, he could stay on the field. I mean, that was the other part yeah. of it. You're dealing with injuries and it got to the point where he was essentially in a timeshare with Daniel George. And, you know, looking at this receiving core for next year, like we outlined last week, and as I'm sure we'll continue to do all off season, like they have glaring needs. And so to me, 
this is a move that spoke more to the development, I think, in that receiving court and potentially, you know, guy comes here, commits to Josh Gaddis, he gets David Corley. Yeah. Um, and I think that maybe reading between the lines here, I think that might have set the tone as much as anything else. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see when he's eligible to play. That will, of course, be the first part. And then what happens? Because I know as much as people want to say, oh, we don't care about Penn State players when they leave, and some people do. And we saw that, of course, with Tommy Stevens. We saw it with Jawan Johnson. But if Justin Shorter goes to Florida and has a really good college career and becomes this five-star that Penn State thought they were getting, uh, that's going to make this story all the more interesting. Yeah, and again, he's still... He's been, you know, he's going to be a redshirt sophomore, or we might have to sit out a year. But either way, he's still a young guy. Like, yeah. you know, it's easy to say, oh, bust or whatever. But well, we don't know that yet. He could be a late bloomer. He could develop. You know, we don't know exactly what set him back at Penn State. And we know he was banged up a little bit as a true freshman, but he also was kind of just never really in the limelight because you know the reporters didn't really get to talk to him after what the summer. Um, and- yeah, I don't think I don't recall him talking at all during the season and i, I mean think so there also wasn't really a need to because he wasn't performing and so you know like there wasn't it wasn't like he had a breakout game and we didn't talk to him but yeah so really mad it's like he entered the transfer portal um hasn't talked to anybody so it, it's always tough to decipher what's going through someone's mind you know during that process for sure so it'll be interesting to see how he fits in at florida where they lose a bunch this year again we don't know if he's going to be eligible but uh, one of the things, you know, Will Salmon cited some sources saying that a big factor in his decision was uh, Florida receivers coach Billy Gonzalez, who has kind of a longer track record, has been there, mm-hmm. worked with Dan Mullen a lot. Um, kind of a different situation than Penn State, which for various reasons has been a re- revolving door at receivers coach. Although, of course, uh, Shorter made his decision to leave before uh, Jared Parker left. Yeah. But um, still, I, I think the... <laughs> I'm sure the David Corley kind of mess of a season did not did not help matters, you know, because you know clearly James Franklin kind of made a misstep with that hire with that move when they had to shift positions with him, and it just clearly did it not work out that year, yeah. and it was just kind of created kind of a messy situation. Um, the and other Penn Matt, State, well, I can tease <laughs> while we're on the topic of Florida, I can tease some more Florida specific content coming to the Athletic via the Penn State page. Um, I spoke with Ron Zook this week for a story I'm working on about Phil Troutwine. So Penn State's uh, offensive line coach, of course, played at Florida and was recruited by Zook. So I uh, enjoyed my conversation with him this week. So that'll be, uh, be coming soon to The Athletic as well. There we go. We'll look for plenty of information on the new assistant coaches who were still waiting to be introduced, but hopefully soon. Um, the other Penn State adjacent news I wanted to quickly bring up was, hey, the XFL is coming back in, in mm-hmm. a couple weeks. There are three Penn Staters on the rosters. Uh, Matt McGloin with the New York Guardians, DeAndre Tompkins with the Washington Defenders, and Saeed Blacknall with the Los Angeles Wildcats. Audrey, I do have a trivia question for you. Oh, boy. In the original XFL, do you know who was the coach of the year? The Ooh. only coach of the year in XFL history. Yikes, Matt. Eesh. That I do not. It is a Penn State connection. Galen Hall, the former Penn State wow. coordinator and quarterback with the Orlando Rage. They did not win the title, but I think they had the best regular season record, maybe. You know, uh, I went down a deep Google search last week when I was looking at stuff for these assistant coaches, and I, I clicked on one thing, of course, got tracked to eight other things, ended up on Galen Hall's page on like Wikipedia, um, and I missed that fact, Matt, so it go. was right there in front of me, and I didn't prepare well enough. I'm sorry. And the other, you know, hey, Matt McGloin joining the long-storied history of Penn State quarterbacks in New York XFL franchises as well. Did you know that Wally Richardson was a quarterback for the New York, New Jersey Hitmen of the original XFL? The Hitmen. So so there we go. Long-storied tradition of literally 100% of XFL seasons. I mean, that's (laughs) – I feel like Matt McGloin is one of the best Penn State stories that's come out of here in recent years uh, in terms of, you know – had we been talking about this, Matt, you know, nine, ten years ago, we would have said, oh, yeah, here's this guy, walk on from Scranton, okay, big deal, another practice arm, whatever. Um, but look at him out there, you know. We saw he was involved with Penn State this year doing, like, radio stuff and was doing a post-game show with uh, Go PSU Sports. But, again, the playing career is still, still there for him. Good for him. 
So, all right, let's transition into the defensive depth chart. As we said last week on Zero State, if you missed the episode, we broke down the entire offensive depth chart projection. Uh, everybody on the athletic staff pretty much did depth chart projections for the teams they cover. Audrey's Penn State projections were up uh, last week on Tuesday and Wednesday. So we talked about the offense. Didn't get a chance to talk about the defense yet. We saved that for this week. So check those articles out on the athletic. But we're going to talk about it here, too. Uh, it's going to be an interesting year for the defense because technically I think there's only five starters returning, uh, but five or six starters returning, yeah. but it's, it yeah. still feels like the defense is coming back. Yeah. There's a lot of experience, experience yeah. but it's coming off a year in which it was unexpectedly, you know, struggling in the past, in the past game, but it was dominant against the run. So there's some variables, but there's clearly a lot of young talent and uh, some experienced talent as well. And I think, Matt, and we'll get to them eventually, but I think the cornerback group is a really, really good example of that. You look yeah. at it, you say, wow, they're super young. But you look at the freshman corners who played this year and the success that they had. You know, Look at what Keaton Ellis was able to do. Look at what Marquise Wilson was able to do. Uh, they're still very, very high on Joey Porter Jr. This is somebody who... We've heard countless times about his kind of freakishly long, rangy arms. I mean, they've got playmakers there. It's just a matter of some of these guys stepping into bigger positions, which is that's always the case this time of year in college football. Um, and you're going to have to see that up front, too, I think, at defensive end, where obviously Etor Gross Mantos is the big void to fill. But Shaka Tony, the NFL draft deadline came and passed, and he stayed put. So that was a big, you know, a big move for Penn State being able to retain a guy uh, who will head into that redshirt senior year. So, yeah, I mean, I think you just look across the board. There's guys who have to step into bigger roles, but it's not like Penn State's dealing with unknown players. I mean, this is where you kind of show off these guys that you recruited, the five stars that you were able to get, the four stars that you've been developing behind the scenes for the last year or two. Um, That's where these guys then will take on a bigger role this year. And Penn State led the nation in yards per rush allowed last year, 2.55 per carry. Now that includes sacks, which Penn State, again, continues to succeed in. 45 sacks in 13 games. Uh, They finished 13th in total sacks last year, 7th in sacks per game. Uh, So it's been a continued strength under Sean Spencer, under Brent Pry. They get pressure. Uh, They also defend the run well. And I don't think there's any reason to expect them not to – get after the opposing quarterbacks and defend the run well next year, even without Etor Gross Matos. You mentioned Shaka Tony coming back, but and even if even if Gross Matos is gone, even if Robert Windsor is gone, we still like the talent that they've assembled and the depth they've assembled up front. Yeah, Matt, and to me, the run is not the problem, and it wasn't the problem this year, yeah. as we all know. Um, it's the pass defense, and what kind of changes do they make there? And again, I get it. Teams were going to try and come out and throw the ball against them because they were so good against the run. I mean, yeah, that's partially me. where the, the big yardage totals come from yes. a little bit. At least. I mean, you look at their rushing totals and it was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, this was an insanely good run defense. Um, so I understand that aspect of it. But even so, I mean, the explosive plays that they gave up this year, totally uncharacteristic of them. Uh, when you're looking at passes of 15 plus yards, Matt, I mean, that was really where it was problematic. And we saw it in the bowl game. Um, my totals, again, unofficial, but my numbers, uh, had them given up 73 passes of 15 plus yards this year, uh, which is not, uh, not how you draw it up. But again, you, you look at it and it's very lopsided when you say, okay, you know, what, what were you able to excel at? Um, why were teams able to be so successful throwing the ball against you? Um, I, that I'm still very curious to talk to Brent Pry about. Hopefully uh, that can happen at some point this offseason, maybe in the spring or something like that. Because to me, that's that's where this thing kind of starts and ends. Because you look at Penn State's always had productive defensive linemen. I mean, that's always kind of been their hallmark, right? So I never, I've learned to kind of never question, okay, who's going to be the next defensive end who steps up? Because they always find guys who are able to make it work. And next year, you know, like I mentioned, you get Shaka Tony back. Um, Maybe it's time for a Jason Oway to take that next step. As I mentioned on a previous (laughs) podcast, I believe I made him a breakout candidate. Um, so I'll stand by that. But, I mean, you still you have depth behind these guys. You have Shane Simmons, who I thought we'd see a little more production from this past year, um, but wasn't the case. I mean, I think he's somebody who 
will be vying for that starting job opposite Chaka Tony with Oway. I do think Adisa Isaac is another one who is going to be a really, really, really good defensive end at Penn State. Uh, it was actually, Matt, it was a little crazy last year, this past season, talking to players about Adisa Isaac. And, you know, of course, he burns his red shirt, former four-star player. And guys are saying, yeah, he's a future first-round draft pick. Like, this is, they think this highly of him. And it wasn't like just one player saying it. It was several players. Um, and I asked Etor Gross Matos about Adisa Isaac as well during this season. I said, you know, does he remind you of yourself at all? And he's like, yeah, like we have the same motor, um, kind of built the same way. So very, very curious to see um, what the career looks like for Adisa Isaac. Can you believe this is the last game of the season? It's been fun-filled, record-setting, and action-packed all the way through. Now there's only one fitting way to end the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe, secure, and reliable betting app. Place your bets for America's biggest game of the year with the American-made DraftKings Sportsbook app. Head to the app right now and check out all that they have to offer, including countless prop bets and football squares. If you're looking for some prop bets for Sunday, DraftKings has a bunch of course typical ones like the coin toss and MVP. But uh, I have to recommend, of course, you know you can get a prop bet for whether a field goal will will hit the uprights or the crossbar. It's the doink special. Or you can bet on whether a lineman will score a TD, which who wouldn't want to bet on that because it's everybody's favorite thing to happen. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code TOSS. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, that's code TOSS and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only. In partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. For sure. And so it does seem like they have a pretty stellar possible top four, which is what you really need because they rotate a lot. You know, I, I would into, you projected and I, I would agree with the projection. It'll be probably Shaka Tony and Jason always the starters. You know, we don't know for sure. I think that's probably the most likely projection at this point. And if you have, you know, a fifth year senior in Shane Simmons, then a rising potential rising star like Isaac uh, rotating in. That's a pretty, pretty stellar top four when you're losing a guy like Etor Grossmatos. So very good shape. It seems like a defensive end. They've recruited well at the position, uh, potentially a lot of depth. You know, you don't just replace a guy like Etor Grossmatos, but I think they're in pretty good position to not have a significant, a huge drop off. Yeah. We, we know they're going to do, they're going to be good at that position. And what they can always, you know, recruit based on, of course, is the success of the position, the amount of guys they've turned out to the NFL, but also the fact that they're going to continue with that rotation that's become, you know, Sean Spencer's hallmark here of these wholesale substitutions at points. So these guys are all going to play. You know, you add a Hakeem Beeman in there. Uh, one that I'm curious on is Nick Tarberton. Um, we did not see him As a at all. fellow Penridge High School alum, as I might. See, there you go, Matt. <laughs> see, now my Dan Chisina was my alma mater, Downingtown East. He's gone, so now you have a guy, you have a horse in the race. Um, but I just, I don't know what the role is going to look like for Tarberton, where he's at with his development, um, because we didn't see him this past year. But Smith Vilbert is somebody else who they're really, really high on. Physically, he looks different, and I mean that in a really good way. He looks like somebody who's going to be a monstrous defensive end. So, I mean, they've got a lot of guys there, but again, Matt, I think it's maybe the theme for this defense next year. It's what kind of production do you get out of some of these younger, highly recruited guys who now, you know, some of them have had a year to sit and learn or two years to sit and learn, but now, you know, the pressure is on them. And I think Jason Owe is kind of the, maybe the perfect example of that because, when he got to Penn State, Matt, this was a guy who was still relatively new to the sport um, right. in terms of, you know, guys are growing up specializing on it and training since the time they're 10 and those sorts of things. You know, he gets to football in high school and was a basketball player before that and has the explosive movements to go with it. And I think this is somebody who uh, has big time potential. And I think between, you know, Owe and Isaac, if we look a couple years down the road, Matt, I think that's probably the... Uh, the pairing that we'll be looking at probably uh, next January this time when we're talking about dear old state. I would think so. Uh, defensive tackle. Let's move inside where I think again I, here. I think the starters seem p 
pretty clear, despite the loss of Robert Windsor, who shouldn't underestimate the loss of him. He ended up being a very, very stellar player for Penn State. Uh, I think he was an underratedly good player, Matt. And I I think that's one of the things that I mentioned it with the offense, with Nick Bowers as a guy who came on late in his career and was able to contribute, help you do some things. Windsor was kind of like that, um, but to a more impactful level for the defense. And I think when people look at it, they're going to kind of gloss it over. Um, But I do think that's a, an important loss for them. And Matt, we've made it this far in the show, of course, grew up in the shadows of Lambeau Field, Rob Windsor. So of there course. we have it. The important part. Always. <laughs> um, but again, this is a product of what Penn State has built in terms of how it's recruited and how it's developed depth on the defensive line, which is just, again, not really in doubt. Antonio Shelton, returning starter. But P.J. Mustafer was basically a co-returning yeah. starter, almost. I mean, he rotated with Shelton a lot. We've seen... You know, he played as a true freshman. He played a lot more as a sophomore uh, and certainly ready for a starting role as a junior. Yeah, and I think, Matt, you know, you, you go back to the Mustafer rotation and it was every second series of the game he was coming in to spell Shelton. So, you know, you can look at it and say, oh, this will be P.J. Mustafer's first year as a full-time starter. Yes and no. He's played a ton of football. Uh, I think he is going to be one of the brightest spots on this entire defense. Um, I just, I think there is that much talent there, that much potential already that much production from a guy. I mean, you don't often see somebody come in and burn their red shirt as a defensive tackle, you know, that first year and and make contributions like he did. Then he took a next step. But I thought the interesting thing, uh, going back to a conversation I had with Mustafer in December was that he understands like what his role is in this defense and what needs to happen you know, for him to kind of help take this defense to another level or to get back to that level that it was at this year with all these departures. Uh, the thing that he told me, Matt, he said that he has to be able to rush the passer better, that he understands that he's got to be a consistent pass rush up the middle for this defense, and that's something you know, that he's really focused on this offseason. So you look at him, he's already transformed his body a lot since he's been here. But there's still, you know, he said more strides to make in that area. So it's kind of going to be a, a big offseason for him in terms of nutrition, but also better understanding how to be that pass rusher. And I will say, Matt, things that um, people, you know, fans probably don't normally get to see just from TV, but this might be the most talkative set of uh, tackles <laughs> that they're going to have, uh, maybe ever. I mean, Shelton and Mustafer are both really outgoing personalities. Uh, enjoy talking with both of them. They always, I feel like you can talk with PJ and you're always going to learn something, whether it's about the game or how he prepares, something like that. Um, just a really good personality, really energetic. So, and then I think that kind of trickles down too, Matt, because you look at a Fred Hansard, you know, again, an outgoing guy. You look at a Judge Culpepper. These are guys who we saw, you know, get more involved, Culpepper, especially down the stretch this season. So, you know, again, I think you just answered my next question, which was Uh-oh. give me one backup who you think will, will emerge as kind of the top rotational guy. Yeah, I think it's Judge Culpepper. And yeah. I think, you know, and, and I say this, Matt, I have no clue what you know, where Damian Barber is. Obviously, there's, you know, everything going on outside of football with that. That's just kind of a whole side story here. But he's somebody that, you know, Penn State was looking for him to continue taking that next step. And up to this point, it hasn't happened. So I think you look at it, um, you know, they're very high on Devon Ellis, of course, who shares a high school with Mustafer, who shares the same high school with Curtis Jacobs. So that uh, McDonough school pipeline continues. Uh, but, but I do think you also look at the way they recruited this position this past cycle. Absolutely huge uh, when you go out, you know, and you bring in as many guys as they did. And Joseph Dark was somebody else, Matt, going back to guys who redshirted this past year. I mean, he got here late because it was like a visa issue, so he didn't get here till till camp in the summer. But when I talk about earlier, I said guys who physically look different. Um, I would put him in that category. You know, it's it's going to be interesting to see what the development looks like for him. But he's probably still maybe another year away in my mind. But I think Culpepper absolutely is probably that uh, a little bit of that sleeper pick inside. Now we move on to linebacker, where two starters are gone. Jan Johnson and Cam Brown are both gone. But again, this is another position where I look at and say, you know what, I. For as good as Cam Brown and, and, and Jan Johnson could be, and obviously they, you know, they both had nice seasons and Penn State did a great job against the run and the linebackers were a big part of that, I don't really see a drop-off here. 
Uh, and obviously, Micah Parsons is back, and he might be the best defensive player in the country. Not just linebacker, he might be the and best he, defensive player in the country. He's already garnering some uh, 2021 mock draft interest. I've already seen that yep. floating around out there, of course, as he should. But we've seen, okay, we expect probably at middle linebacker, Ellis Brooks is the favorite. We've seen plenty of quality snaps from him as well, uh, rotating in with Dan Johnson. And then we would project that Brandon Smith, the former five-star recruit, will start fill maybe the vacancy left by Cam Brown. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they got Brandon Smith on the field last year. He showed some flashes. They had him in some some crucial situations. He he played more and more. And obviously he has a very, very, very high ceiling. So hard not to like what Penn State has at linebacker, even with only one starter returning. Yeah, Matt, to me, and I agree with you, you look at in terms of what they're losing there. But, again, this is a position group that – on paper is absolutely fascinating because you look at it and you say, okay, you got two former five stars and yes, I get it. Parsons was a defensive end in high school, whatever. Clearly we all know. And the nation knows now that he's a hell of a linebacker. That's, that's become very clear the last two years. Quite clear. Yeah. So you look at that, but then I think you go back to Matt to the depth that they have. Jesse mm-hmm. Lucetta has played a lot of football for them. This is somebody that, you know, if something happens to Ellis Brooks, Lucetta shouldn't miss a beat at this point in his career. And he career. could be competing for a starting role. Absolutely. For all we know as well. And I think he very much will be in the mix um, with that job. I think he's still going to play a significant amount, uh, whether he becomes a starter there or not. But Lance Dixon, to me, is really intriguing. We saw him redshirt this past year. Before he redshirted, he was playing on special teams a little bit. Uh, this is, again, one of their most highly touted guys in that same recruiting class with Brandon Smith. Dixon was a four star. They've said that they plan to do something with Curtis Jacobs this year in terms of using him in some capacity. Uh, I wonder what that capacity is. I think it maybe is more so of a kind of what we saw with with Lucetta early on, what we saw with Dixon, um, special teams role. But maybe they do burn his red shirt and, you know, they're able to get some mileage out of Jacobs because you look at the headliners of their recruiting classes, Matt, and that's where, you know, these guys have to show up. This is where you say, yeah. okay, you know, Brent Pry you've went out and you've gotten all these toys and these toys look like they're going to be really, really good. Uh, But now it's a matter of just seeing what that next step looks like. And I think Brandon Smith is going to be, you know, phenomenal linebacker. I thought we started to see flashes of that last year. And he was telling me ahead of the cotton bowl, I talked with him one-on-one at the media day. And he said that he felt like he was starting to better understand what was happening with the game in terms of, you know, he felt like, ahead of fall camp, he said to himself, I need to learn as much as I can because I want to play this year. And just pretty much kind of shut himself down in the dorm room and was like pouring over the playbook, trying to figure out and learn as much as he could. And then he said at some point last season, he believed it was around the pit game. Uh, Brent Pry came to him and said, okay, now we want you to learn, you know, another linebacking spot. Because that's always been the thing with this position is they always want these guys to know two spots and one isn't enough, you know, and you want the box backers to be interchangeable and all these kinds of things. But where I think Smith slots in um, best, arguably, and we'll see um, kind of down the road, but it's that unique skill position that is always tough to find guys to fill. And I think that's where you look at you know, some of these outside guys and what they're able to do. Um, that's the same thing. You look at Curtis Jacobs. These are athletes who can fill that. I think Lance Dixon's another guy. I'm curious to see how his body has changed in the last year since he's been here. Um, but he's another one who I think really um, physically, you know, can give you something. And let's not forget Charlie Catcher uh, also played this year. You know, as a guy we saw a little bit more and more of. So this is somebody who, you know, you're going to get some kind of mileage out of Matt. You're going to have some good competitions on this three deep. And then, of course, you add Tyler Elston and Zariah Fisher from this uh, this 2020 class. And we'll see um, kind of how that goes, Matt. But I think I'll make the argument that this is the most well-stocked the linebacking core has been in, shoot, at least five years, I'm going to say, Matt. I mean, I really do think it's going to be that good. With the guy who I think will probably enter the year as the favorite to win the Buckus Award as the nation's best linebacker. Yeah. So you had a headliner like that as the one returning starter, but then some guys that they have gotten experience and they've just recruited the position so well where it's hard not to like where the linebacking core is headed. Cornerback uh, Tariq Castro Fields decided to return for his senior season. So that gives Penn State a returning starter. Coming off of an un- uneven season, I guess we could say. Um, had some injury problems, got beat downfield a little bit. 
Uh, John Reed, of course, is gone. But again, it's another spot where at least despite the lapses in pass defense last year, Penn State has to like where it's heading because they've recruited the position so well. And you have two guys who burned their red shirts last year because you know, there was no reason to keep them off the field. And that was Keaton Ellis and Marquise Wilson. Yeah, and that's where, Matt, on my very official depth chart, the one that everyone should go by, um, I said Keaton Ellis or Marquise Wilson as a projected starter. I hate using ors. I think it's a cop-out. But here, I think in this situation, it really fits. Um, I think it does for two reasons. Because also, there's you know it's 2020. And mm-hmm. so many times, you know, five defensive backs is almost a base defense in college football now for a lot of teams. And Keaton Ellis was on the depth chart at the star position last year. So you could see both of them technically start or at least play a lot of the snaps. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, these are guys who were, it seemed like at least were always around the ball this past year. And I think, you know, when you look at the depth and the talent that they have at cornerback, you can say, yeah, a lot of these guys are young, but so what? I mean, we saw in the Cotton Bowl, Matt, they were not especially there. They were not shy about putting Keaton Ellis out there, about putting Marquise Wilson out there. Uh, Again, in critical situations, I mean, those are big moments for players in terms of development and in terms of being able to get, you know, those snaps, get that game film on there so they can go back and study it. But the forgotten guy in all of this, I think, is Donovan Johnson. And because of injuries, that's really kind of derailed his Penn State career to this point. But this is somebody who, had we been having this conversation, you know, last winter, we would say this is a guy who's going to play a lot. And up, you know, through that pit game where he got hurt, he did. And then missed the rest of the season due to injury. And so where is he at in all of this? I don't know. I mean, but you look at how stacked that room is. And, you know, I guess for Penn State, it's kind of a a blessing in disguise in terms of building depth because if Donovan Johnson doesn't get hurt, who knows how much you see last year of Keaton Ellis, of Marquise Wilson, of Joey Porter Jr., um, but because it happened, now you've been able to build all that depth. But now, you know, where does Donovan Johnson factor into all of that? I'm very curious to see kind of what the winter and spring holds for him. But I mentioned earlier, too, Joey Porter Jr. Um, maybe down the road, Matt, he becomes a safety. Who knows? Um, but for right now, they love him at corner. They love the build that he has. So I'm very curious. And Trent Gordon's another guy who we saw, you know, um, just, just more productivity from more opportunities. But I just think when you look at the depth that they have at corner, again, stacked position group. And I'll say this too, Matt. You know, we mentioned Castro Fields and the up and down year that he had. Um, I, I thought that we would see more from Castro Fields in terms of production um, because preseason he was a guy that a lot of people within the program were saying, you know, they thought he was going to have a really good year. And, you know, there was certainly enough reason to believe that if he had a really good year, maybe he wouldn't come back. You know, like that was a legitimate legitimate thought process coming out of that building. So now you look at it, um, the year did not go as I don't, as I think we probably would all agree, probably did not go how he wanted it to go personally. Um, but these guys are also pushing him. I think that's the other part of this. When you have so many sure. young corners, um, if he struggles out there, if he falters, I don't think there's going to be a hesitation. You know, it's you've got young guys who are ready to play, who are willing to play. Um, so I think the healthy competition there, of course, he's the leader in that room. He's the leader of that group. Um, but there's going to be a lot of heat, I think, for uh, for those two starting jobs. Yeah, you know, forced fumbles are not like a, you know, the most crucial stat for defensive backs, but Marquise Wilson and uh, Keaton Ellis both had three forced fumbles last year, and Marquise yeah. Wilson had two interceptions. And one so in the Cotton for guys Bowl who were, right at the end of the game, yeah. Yeah, for guys who were part-time freshmen who didn't, you know, play for like a chunk of the season, I mean, we didn't see Marcus Wilson, Marquise Wilson early, really, kind of earned his way onto the field. They made plays on the ball. They were around the ball and showed a lot of promise. So, you know, pass defense ended up sixth in the Big Ten in uh, pass defensive passing efficiency, but I think next to last in yards per game a lot. Again, part of that is because teams just gave up running the ball on Penn State. Yeah. But I think everybody will agree that, uh, you know, in terms of uh, big plays, it was a problem. It was the, the highest completion percentage they've allowed since 2010, I believe, at 60.5%. So very uneven year 
and some good quarterbacks really did burn them. Um, and but paging again, Tanner Morgan, rush, paging Tanner Morgan. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> with the pass rush, with the young talent at cornerback, you still have to feel good about what they can be uh, in twenty twenty. Although I think probably a few more concerns at safety. Yeah, uh, Lamont Wade comes back as a starter. He return. He you know no announcement really either way for him. But coming back senior year, uh, and then. There are guys with experience in Jaquan Brisker and Jonathan Sutherland, both back. They both played a ton of football. Uh, Garrett Taylor is gone, but still, I think it's a position group that Penn State is looking for more out of. Absolutely. I think, you know, you go back to the numbers that we talked about, the completion percentage, the big plays that have happened in the secondary. And, you know, surely it's not all on the safeties. I don't want this to come across that way at all. Um, but you look at some of the plays and some of the issues, some of the tackling problems this year, and this is a position group, Matt, that I think was exposed this year to some extent, um, and this is a group that you got to find ways to figure this out. And yes, we can point to the pass rush, we can point to you know the last line of defense getting hung out the dry on some of these things, but when it comes down to it, you've got three guys now who have played a lot of football, and you've got Enzo Jennings, who is a really highly touted recruit, uh, who I'm really curious to see how he kind of factors into this. Of course, you have Tyler Rudolph, you have C.J. Holmes as well. Uh, and Holmes is really interesting, Matt, because people remember him as the guy who commits to Notre Dame, comes to Penn State, is part of a crowded running back room after he walks on here, um, then you know toys with maybe becoming a receiver, then he ends up with the safeties, played some special teams for Penn State this year. So I still think there's, you know, contributions that they can get from Holmes that they're probably looking forward to getting from him. But in terms of starters right now, um, these guys are going to have to take it up another notch. And that to me is, if we want to point to, and we already did kind of the weak link on the offense with the receiving core, the group that we have the most questions about, for me on the defense, Matt, the safeties are the group that, I think it's yeah. the same thing where something's got to happen here. Um, you know, I thought we would see a little bit more of Sutherland last year than we did. I mean, he played a lot and was a core special teams guy for them as well. Uh, but there was a lot of hype surrounding him. I remember during his redshirt freshman year, or his freshman year rather, where he redshirted, where, you know, he was laying guys out in practice and these sorts of things. And then he made the spot start the next year. So, Again, another offseason for these guys is going to be absolutely huge, but this position group, there's going to be a lot of eyes on it, no doubt. Yeah, and we did see some flashes. Lamont Wade, let's mm-hmm. give a shout-out to the game he played against yep. Ohio State. Like out of his had, mind. Certainly yeah. had some moments, and that game was one of, one of the best games any defender for Penn State played all last year. But, again, it was certainly inconsistent. They, you know, Sometimes it's hard to parse blame between corners and safeties on some of the big plays, but... I think Penn State is certainly looking for a little bit more out of safeties. Uh, Tyler Rudolph is a guy I would point out. I am intrigued to see how he factors in mm-hmm. next year as a guy who was a four-star recruit, was a highly recruited guy. And I think they're certainly looking for some competition in, at that And position. Jair Brown, Lackawanna um, College, another guy, you know, in the mix there. It's um, You just, yes. you look at, to me, Matt, it's like a you look at kind of the depth that they have there, but a lot of it's unproven depth. And that's, to me, where this position group's a little bit different because – Beyond those three guys, Wade Brisker and Sutherland, it's a lot of unknowns. And that's where I think um, something's going to have to give there. Somebody's going to have to really, really step up. Um, Because if there's an injury back there, Matt, I I don't know kind of how they they fill that. Very quickly, let's touch on this. The specialists, uh, Penn State will return. Very strong kicking Mm -hmm. game in terms of Jake Pinnaker on field goals and field goals of 50 or 49 or fewer yards and PATs. He had a quietly nice year where they didn't really kick a ton of field goals last year, but Pinnaker had a solid year. Uh, Jordan Stout, the Virginia Tech transfer, ended up being a revelation on kickoffs. Uh, so they're really well set there. It's just, okay, Blake Gillikin is gone for your starter punter. Does Jordan Stout replace him? I think so, but I do think Bradley King will also push him for that job. Um, you know, Matt, to me, the how Stout ended up at Penn State is one of the more interesting storylines of this team, and it's something that I'm sure casual fans probably just gloss over, but how Virginia Tech let this guy go, um, I won't understand, because clearly he was an immediate, instant upgrade when you look at you know the kickoffs and where it was at two years ago with Raphael Checa. 
But him as a punter, I'm very curious to see what that looks like. Um, I'll be talking to a lot of people in the Stout camp this offseason trying to get a better idea of it. But I know Bradley King is a guy who they brought in here, uh, you know, with hopes of filling a punting need. And, you know, everybody, this is all life after Blake Gilligan for Penn State. This is something they haven't had to worry about the last four years. So, you know, who are some of those guys that step up to me? That's going to be interesting. But, yeah, I thought... Pinnegar um, certainly was, you know, improved last year, as we mentioned. Stout was a big upgrade. So, you know, you have to look at the punting game this year, Matt. And I think, too, you also have to look at the return game because now, you know, you're without K.J. Hamler. So so there goes your return guy. Uh, so how do you fill that void? And, you know, punt returner Jahan Dotson would seem to be at least in the driver's seat I, as the yeah, guy who I was would kind think. of the top backup mm-hmm. last year. Uh, but... I think kick return is more up in the air with, yeah. with Hamler gone. I don't know. It, it seems like you listed Journey Brown and Ricky Slade as potential starters. It does seem like an opportunity to get a running back <laughs> on the field because they, they need that. Like to me, you know, this is just kind of speculating. It does seem like a prime way to get Ricky Slade yeah, involved. I, I agree, Matt. I, I think that when you look at it, like we know they're not shy about playing starters on special teams like that. And I know some fans don't like that. Sure. Um, I'm fine with it. I think this is a matter of, hey, you want this to be an equal, consistent third phase. You play your starters. That's great. I mean, you had Saquon Barkley back returning kicks, and you were fine. So I think you look at it and you say— It worked out yeah, pretty well. Yeah, like you look at it, you could say, okay, you know, does Journey Brown stay back there assuming he's the starting running back? Uh, he very well could. I mean, that could be an option. Is Slade the other guy back there with him? He could. Or maybe is it Devin Ford? You know, who knows? Uh, but I do think that's a spot where you're going to see this running back depth uh, continue to break through. And then I think punt returner, um, we did see Dotson get a crack at it this past year when K.J. Hamler was hurt. So I think that's certainly something. Um, beyond that, Matt, it gets really interesting because maybe Mac Hippenhammer factors in there. Um, we saw Marquise Wilson in practice at points when they were back just kind of, you know, maybe messing around a little bit. So I don't know what exactly the depth chart looks like at punt returner, because that was always a spot, you know, where you kind of knew what you were getting and John Reed always factored in as well. So that to me is a spot where uh, in the spring, you have to keep some eyes on it and see who they're giving opportunities to back there. But you've got a lot of explosive athletes now. So it's kind of like, Hey, go figure it out. And I'm sure they will. Well, Penn State's defense, I feel like, you know, again, it's like half the starters are gone, but it feels like they're bringing back more than that. Uh, so I think we are both very optimistic about what the defense can be in 2020. They were 16th in yards per play last year, despite the, you know, some of the inconsistencies, the big plays. Uh, they've been pretty steady there. The last three years, they were 12th in 2017. They were 14th in 2018 and 16th in 2019. So all in the same ballpark in terms of yards per play allowed nationally. Just a little bit of an imbalance, I guess, between run and pass defense. But uh, they've recruited very well. And, you know, for all the offensive coaching turnover, it doesn't exist on defense. So there's a lot of stability on defense, even with some, you know, they're going to miss some of these veterans for sure. Uh, but they seem to be in very, very good hands entering 2020. I agree, Matt. I think it's going to be uh, interesting to see what the defense looks like with all these new faces. I think there's also a lot of reason for optimism because, you know, if you were kind of on board with Penn State when they were recruiting these guys, then you absolutely should be on board with them now, you know, as they turn these highly touted guys uh, into guys who you're going to see big contributions from on Saturdays. So I think that's – that's probably about it on the defense, Matt, and the special teams. But I guess now for the next portion of Dear Old State, um, we'll have my conversation with John Urschel. John and I touched on a wide variety of topics for a Q&A um, that is posted on The Athletic. So I won't give away the entire conversation here on Dear Old State, but it is up on The Athletic. And it was uh, interesting to hear how John Urschel kind of got on the selection committee's radar. This is not something he ever expected to be doing as he continues to pursue his PhD um, in applied mathematics at MIT. So he hopes to have the PhD wrapped up in 2020. And now, Matt, he's going to be spending all of this time watching college football like the rest of us, except his voice, his opinion matters more so than ours. Yeah, Way more. yes, it does. It's gonna be interesting. It's just, it's yeah, it's a, certainly an interesting perspective to see uh, what he can add. You know, I think 
like advanced stats and things have maybe not been the biggest strength of the selection yeah. committee. And he's a guy who obviously as a like literal math genius uh, offers a different perspective. So Audrey to set it up. Here is brief snippet from Audrey's interview with new college football playoff selection committee member and former Penn state, all big 10 offensive lineman, John Urschel. Did they kind of give you guys or have they told you yet, like in terms of how much of a time commitment this is or like, do you have any yes. idea what the, yeah. Yes. What? yes. So we, uh, of course this is something, no, this is something that you have to discuss because, right. you know, you should know what you're, what you're committing to. And it's, uh, it's quite, quite a large time commitment. Yeah. I would say in terms of, I mean, to do this well, mm-hmm. in terms of, um, sort of, just watching a lot of college football and being up to speed on what's going on and truly sort of paying attention to things. It takes a lot of hours in the fall is what I've been told. And I will say that I'm, uh, I'm aware that this is certainly a sacrifice. <laughs> uh, I, I'll be sacrificing, you know, sort of time that I would otherwise be spending on that. But yeah. this is something that's truly important to me. College football is, you know, this is something that's like very, very important to me, and I, uh, I'm really happy to, to sort of, to spend this time. Oh yeah, have you, have you given it any thought as to like, I mean, when you currently watch a, you know, a college game, John, I'm guessing you're probably like the rest of us, just in terms of hanging out, watching a game, just you know, like a kind of a normal viewing experience, but. Have you thought about it now in terms of like, you know, are you going to be keeping notes or, you know, how many screens are you going to have going at once and like all that stuff? <laughs> that's, that's a great question. So first of all, when you say how many screens, like when I was, uh, so when I was in high school, mm-hmm. I had this, uh, this track coach. Okay. Who I swear to you in his basement for like college football, he would have up to roughly 10 screens going at the same time. <laughs> And so, luckily, I don't think I'm going to have to have that set up. I mean, the yeah. uh, college football playoff committee, they uh, they send you technology, I think, like the equivalent of an iPad. I won't say iPad, but, but yeah. iPad equivalent. And it has all the games on there. And they've actually been, um, they've been um, sort of cut so that okay. there's no commercials, there's no huddles. And so you sort of, you get a game in a very sort of short, condensed format, sort of in the way that you would get a game, you know, as a yeah. player watching film. I mean, when, okay, when I was a player and I'm watching film of some team, the games go quick. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you're watching film, sort of, and not watching a broadcast, it goes very quickly, and so I think I'll be able to cover a lot of games very quickly. But with that said, I'm also going to, you know, of course I'm going to want to watch, you know, some of the broadcasts as well on Saturday and, you know, see the games in real time. Oh, yeah, and get the kind of the full feel for the game and that, that you know, all the stuff that takes up all the time otherwise. Yeah, of course. And also, I mean, even, I mean, I've been watching, I watch a lot of college football just naturally. And, mm-hmm. uh, of course, okay, I'll watch it with a closer eye, and, you know, differently, but... Somehow I found that, at least myself, as a sort of former player, when I was a player, I had a really hard time. Well, not a hard time, but I just naturally, when I'm watching a football game, I'm naturally, like, noticing specific things and paying attention to specific things. Okay, like like certain, anything, like, stick yeah, out like, to me? I mean, even when I'm casually watching, you know, football, you know, I, I notice specific things. Like, I, you know, I look, it's a play. Oh, the defense is, you know, they're playing Tampa 2, mm-hmm. or the defense is showing... You know, they're trying to show, you know, a certain coverage, but they're actually going to be in this. The offense is doing this thing, or such and such, and this is blocked, or the defense did this, you know. I mean, you sort of, you just can't help but notice these things, because it sort of, it becomes ingrained in you, I feel. Yeah, and like you said, you probably never kind of lose that, <laughs> you know, even over yeah, time. You never, yeah, you never sort of, like, uh, yeah, you never lose that. It's sort of something that, you know, you just can't help but... You know, you look at a play and you can't help but see that. Mm-hmm. And have you given it any thought to as well? I mean, you know, I mentioned earlier that, like, you're never going to please everybody, you know, with the rankings. Um, have you thought in terms of, like, how do you block that out on social media? I mean, I'm sure throughout your career you've, you know, you've had to do it at various points and kind of just lead your life without it. But 
have you thought, you know, maybe especially given, you know, Penn State where, you know, maybe people think they should be, you know, I don't know, say seven and you think maybe they're nine or something like that. Uh, have you thought in terms of in that so far? Uh, yeah, I have, I have no no issues with that. I mean, I mean, really, when it comes down to it, I'm going to try to sort of help the committee to the best of my ability, mm-hmm. sort of bring you know my knowledge and you know hopefully contribute something to try to sort of to try to help the committee. And really, I uh, you know I I don't have any issues. If, you know, I mean. Not every fan is going to be happy with uh, with something, and I'm perfectly fine with sort of accepting that. You know, I might get a angry letter from a fan every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that comes with the territory, right? Yeah. Okay. Maybe someone, you know, maybe I get a couple tweets tweeted at me that are not so happy. I'm I'm hardly on Twitter anyway, so there you go. <laughs> I was going to say you got plenty of other things to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And- have you given it, you know, kind of in any thought e- either or like what you think are maybe some of the most valuable or most important metrics when you're kind of comparing teams? Because obviously I think your background kind of might bring a different perspective in that regard too. No, of course. I mean, that's a, first of all, that's a great question. I, I mean, I have to say just, okay, I, I have a decent amount of experience with sports analytics and I will say that, okay, I, over sort of my years, I've seen a lot of different ways in which teams are compared to each other. Mm-hmm. But really, I have to say that, you know, I'm not, I'm really just not at all qualified yet. And I'm really looking forward to, I have to say, like, I'm incredibly excited for this first meeting to really sort of dig into what the committee does how things are done and just to really understand this process so that I can really get a better feel for, you know, my duties and to sort of do my job to the best of my ability. Yeah, because like you said, I mean, it's always, you know, you always hear the arguments of head-to-head versus strength of schedule versus, you know, non-conference games and you got Alabama playing a non-con game late in the year. I mean, there's just, there's so many variables, you know. Yeah, there's just so many different, there's so many different ways to measure things. And so I'm just, really, I just, I'm really looking forward to sort of becoming a part of the committee, really being sort of put up to speed with respect to members who have been a part of the committee in sort of previous years to just sort of learn as fast as I can to really try to, yeah, just try to help as much as I can. Thanks to John Urschel for joining Audrey for that interview. Hope you all enjoyed that. I hope you all check out the extended interview uh, on The Athletic. If you're not an Athletic subscriber, please join us. Audrey's, of course, turning out great content all off-season. So check that out. And uh, if you are a happy listener of Dear Old State, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And uh, we will be back next week on Dear Old State be a little bit delayed we're going to come back after signing day which is next wednesday so we'll wrap up any lingering uh, news from signing day and whatever whatever else is going on in penn state football so thanks for joining us on gerald state and we will talk to you again soon <laughs>